This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 97 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have a Mustang theme going. I think you're going to have some fun with this one. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, my coach, my mentor, Jen, with me today. How are you, Jen? Hello, Debbie. Hi, sweetie. I'm way down in Florida, and Irma, by the time people hear this, hopefully Irma is- Irma is going to be ancient just- history. Ancient history, just a just a, a fleeting, not even a bad thought, just a fleeting thought. It will Jeez. be nothing more than old Facebook posts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we're going to do a diversion today. And for those who love Mustangs or the idea of the iconic American Mustang or the idea of someday, you know, getting to see them on the open plain somewhere, this is the episode for you. Absolutely. It's fun because we have um, we have a young gal who's um, been at it for a while with these Mustangs, but she is she's really kind of the next generation uh, having some fun with Mustangs and probably see her in some competitions coming down the road. But she is certainly uh, you can find her in clinics down the road. And then we have another couple that um, are let's just say retired and at the other end of the spectrum, and they've decided they've got to get into Mustangs. So I, I can't wait to to share them with you and you get to hear their story about the whys and the wherefores of being with and living with and how Mustangs are different. What I'm do curious. you think? Well, you yeah. know, growing up, Mustangs were not a thing cult mm-hmm. in our horse culture. Must've been um, in your horse culture. Yeah. Mine, well, mine, it was. <laughs> it was being out West, you know, being yeah. a, being a Yankee, they were yeah. a non-issue except for on, gotcha. you know, in movies and TV comic strips and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the only experience we ever had with Mustang was occasionally someone would adopt one. And I think 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the adoption process was not so well defined. Mm. And a lot of people who really were not qualified to own a wild horse ended up with them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. really had no idea to how to properly gentle and make them good citizens. So the little bit of experience and the little thing, a little bit I knew about Mustangs back in the day was don't go there. They're just, they're (laughs) wild. They're always going to be wild. They're dangerous. Leave them be wild. Don't try to train them. Just, yeah, the Mustangs would have agreed with you too. Just (laughs) let them be wild. Leave us alone. Just leave us alone. (laughs) Um, But more because, not because people didn't know how to train them, but because they were untrainable. Ah, you know, that was sort gotcha. of the general attitude towards Mustangs. Mm. On that flip side, I did have one Mustang that came through my care for a short period of time. It was, it was a little tiny guy. He must have been 13 hands, 13 one. Don't know how he got to where I had him. Mm. I don't know really anything about his history except that he ended up in someone's backyard. And he was a lovely little fellow. Mm. He was easy to ride and very friendly. He was a good citizen. He was a good mm-hmm. pony citizen, and mm-hmm. I found him for one of my riding students at the time, was a preteen, and needed something small but fun. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, when I found this horse and 
um, found him his new home, he had the brand on his neck indicating he was a Mustang. But that was not part of the sales pitch, believe me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, for us, it was like, no, that's not a good thing. So it's so interesting for me now to watch like this. Pr- prison numbers under yes, his it's, orange jumpsuit. <laughs> yes, it's like having a rap sheet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, ex-con. <laughs> that's um, sad. Yeah. It, pe- they were prejudged. Now, for you growing up, mm-hmm. was was it? Obviously, so, Mustangs yeah. were at the forefront, but was it the same attitude towards a Mustang? Was it, uh, don't bother? Yeah, it definitely was for professionals. Let's put it that way. But but on the other hand, it was a little less structured, as you say. Certainly, there weren't as many in the holding pins <laughs> as no. we have now. So therefore, this whole Mustang brand thing was a little less common, you know, when I was growing up. I mean, people would find Mustangs. People could round up Mustangs. You know, and now I'm talking, uh, we're going back and I'm aging myself here, you know. But uh, they've always been, you know, the BLM has been in charge for, I can't remember how, you know, as far back as I can remember. And BLM has always had this love-hate with the the citizens and then the the people who own the cattle. And, you know, there's just all this um, competition for ground. A lot of entanglements, money. yes. A lot of politics, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so growing up, I mean, we always thought the Mustangs were amazing horses as horses because they're – I mean, they're the sturdiest feet on earth, uh, you know, of any, of any, you know, they're, they're feral horses mixed in with there too. There was the, there was the iconic Mustang, the Spanish barb that you can see with the feathers and their little stature and beautiful flowing manes. I mean, they just really look right out of the Spanish barb. You can tell. And then, you know, then there's the occasional turned loose <laughs> horse that gets in. Sure. So th- yeah. there was a bit of a, um, I would say maybe a feeling that it was a ragtag group to some mm-hmm. degree, but mm-hmm. the um, the American iconic Mustang uh, was always, I think, revered in in my circles growing up mm-hmm. for for all the good right, all the right reasons. Although they really didn't have a competition slot, right? <laughs> you know, precisely. You, yes. Why yeah. for 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 someone who's in the competitive industry of of horse? Yes, the Mustang but, didn't hold a great deal of interest at that time. I guess. But there were those like the f- most favorite horse my dad ever owned. And that's hard to say, right? Um, Monty Roberts, when I was really pretty young, but he was at the height of his showing career for a good straight 10 years. Johnny Tivio was his, still is, his favorite all-time horse to compete on. And Johnny Tivio was really his little Spanish barb. I mean, he looks like a Mustang. And we have these Mustangs out here that we bring in for the Gentling Wild Horse course that we put on in the summer. And we've got these guys, we've got Diego right now who looks like a knockoff of Johnny Tibio. Oh, wow. And then we, we've we had other cousins to Shy Boy and they all, you know, they're all bays and they're all beautiful, but they, they all have that Spanish barb look and they are amazing, smart, they're survivors, you know, Jen, yes. that's, I mean, yeah. that's what the American Mustang is. It's, it's, they've been surviving for hundreds of years on a desert where if you took a MIT scientist, I would put my money on the Mustang, you know, yes. <laughs> you yes. put them out in the desert and they have to survive. No, no. Yes. Uh, you know, there's just, um, there's just endurance and survivalship built into them. They can, they can gain weight on air. (laughs) (laughs) Which when they become domesticated is a little bit of a downside problem. (laughs) Yeah. Poor shy boy. They people, when they come to the farm to visit and they, you know, iconic shy boy, he's, he's, uh, 
he's 24 years old now, and he was the subject. Dad adopted him and was the subject of Shy Boy, the uh, Mustang that came in from the wild. The BBC came over here and filmed him. If you haven't read the book or got the DVD, please do. It's just, but take a Kleenex with you. It's just wonderful story, and he's still with us. The the BBC documentary, if you can find that, oh my gosh. So good. So good, because it's so real, right? I mean, it is a documentary, but it's got a story beautifully filmed it's Mm. just beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. and he has to live on a sand paddock so people will come to the farm and go why do you have him on a sand well Well, (laughs) for his health (laughs) we have to he will find you know little twigs around the side of that bin and we have to he stays by the racetrack and he has a beautiful spot overlooking everything on the farm he pretty much runs the farm by the way but he um, his little spot down there at the track is beautiful because he can look all the way across the front that's right that's right you've seen it here and now we have other Mustangs on the farm. But, I mean, what was fun about putting this episode together is that we've got this Mustang, Maddie, who appreciates the Mustangs. And then we've got um, Gary and Joanne. But Joanne is really our our horse lover who always wanted to. So what's one of the first horses she really gets back into with? She adopts a Mustang. Oh, wow. So it's such a cool story how she comes about it and how she – um, gets involved with a Mustang. You just you just have to hear the story. It's so good. I'm saving it for you. But a couple of little fun things to note coming up that I could think I can give you a little preview of news that I'm not supposed to share. Ooh, so here's news I'm not effect. supposed to share. That's right. Okay. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear. You know any news that I'm not supposed to share. But it's it's something we're working on is a TV show that is currently in Europe is going to come over here probably with technology, meaning you might find it on Amazon. You might, you know, one of those kind of distribution systems. Oh, we can stream it. I love those kind of TV shows. Exactly. And we would, we have proposed to them and I think we can pull it off to put together some Mustang shows that are based on the Gentling and Wild Horses. So, yeah, I think people will get a little peek into, you know, what that world all looks like and maybe have an interest then. You can see how with incremental training, these horses are so smart and they are not untrainable. They're just really smart. (laughs) (laughs) And when you get them trained up, guess what? Just, you know, uh, you better be as smart as them because they'll, they'll take you home all in one piece. You know, they're just, yeah, it's like having one of those dog breeds that you have to be a good trainer to have that dog breed. Not yeah. because the dog's dumb, but because the dog's smart. Smart, yeah. See? But not, and and they're they're not, you know, like, let's use dog as an analogy, you know. They're not one of those breeds that you worry about with the kids or anything no, else. These, not at all. I mean, these turn really into super solid horses. And now they're, you're starting to see them used. I mean, Jamie Jennings is an example. She's uh, taken some from the prison system, but that's basically BLM Mustangs, got the brand and everything. And she's jumping, and they've got three day eventers, and you've got, you know, oh, yeah. uh, you've got people you've are. You've got them in showing to, in the Yusef Equestrian in pony finals, in eventing, yeah. in show jumping and dressage in yes. they're talking about having a, a division in is it raining or a rained cow horse just for mustangs yeah and the working cow ranch yeah, or whatever they call it yeah place. Mm-hmm. i'm gonna have some guests on about that too in the near future because i think it's an it's a really exciting new area that people are having some fun getting into that it's kind of a, a variation on the western raining oh, cool. but it's got a little more ranch theme to it too so really fun so if anybody listening out there who's ever considered you know a mustang man that just sounds like over my head or whatever it might be so 
you're right, use your head. But on the other hand, if you have a knowledge of the way to gentle these horses and then get them really solid, you will, you'll have a horse for life. They're just wonderful little, wonderful little breeds. So, um, so listen in. I've got Mustang Maddie and we've got Gary and Joanne Cutchell and they both have different stories, but Mustang stories, really cool. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh growing grasses which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. A lifetime equestrian, Madison Shambaugh's world was rocked when she encountered her first Mustang in 2013. Captivated by their heart, their mind, and their innate freedom, Mustang Maddie has made it her life's mission to promote and showcase the Mustang while raising awareness for the plight of the American wild horse. Together with her Liberty team of formerly wild Mustangs and accompanied by a unique herd of zebras, too, Madison travels the country to share her training methods and advocate for wild horses. Wherever she goes, Maddie's message rings true. Every horse has a potential for greatness, and it's up to us to help them reveal it. Well, welcome, Mustang Madison Shambaugh. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Now tell me, you go by Maddie, but I want to yeah. hear the story about how it became Mustang Maddie. But before that, where are you, where are you calling us from? Where are you hailing from right now? Um, I am calling you from Ridgeway, Colorado. So the southwestern corner of Colorado. Southwestern corner of Colorado, and it's in the middle of the summer. So are you, uh, weather is okay on your part? Um, you know, the rain season kind of just started. So usually it's some thunderstorms in the afternoon. So we just got in from working some horses and doing a little bit of filming for an upcoming um, training series that I'm working on. And uh, now we'll kind of wait out the rain. <laughs> okay. Well, our producer Jen uh, here is having some lightning storms in Florida too. So if we hear some futzy sounds, we'll we'll know we'll know that Mother Nature is live and well. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to get into that. So you're filming right now, and you've got a lot of things going. Take us back a little bit about. I know you're a lifetime equestrian. We've introduced you as such, but you met your first Mustang in 2013. Tell me how that was. Were you writing English at the time or you've always been a Western girl? Um, you know, growing up, um, we grew up part-time here in Colorado and um, it was, you know, mostly all Western here. We do a lot of just trail riding, 
um, and things like that. And then um, part-time in Indiana. When I was in Indiana, it was mostly like hunter jumper, you know, English type stuff. So by the time I got my first Mustang, um, I had been riding primarily Western for a while. Um, When I was about 10 years old, I started barrel racing and kind of got hooked on that. Um, And then I kind of kept up with some dressage and some lower level eventing type stuff on the side. But um, yeah, by the time I was riding, you know, pretty consistently um, and barrel racing by the time I got my first Mustang in 2013. Yeah. So tell us about that encounter. Okay. So yeah. Um, was it love across, it, you know, across <laughs> a, an auction room or how did you find it? Well, yeah. Well, what happened really was I had been drawn into the Mustang for a while. Um, by 2013, I had found out about the extreme Mustang makeover competitions um, back probably when I was about a junior in high school um, through the documentary, I think it was wild horse, wild ride. And I saw the trailer for that. It like completely gave me shivers. I got really excited and I was like, I'm going to do that someday. So um, I could never seem to find a makeover that came close to me. And I just wanted to kind of get my hands wet with it and say, see, you know, how the training process went without the time constraints. So I thought, all right, I'm going to go ahead and adopt a Mustang. And that was in November of 2013. So I went through the online um, bidding process and bid on a two-year-old Mustang from Wyoming, um, who's now named Tari. And um, it's kind of funny because when I went there to pick him up, they have you, you know, fill out paperwork. And um, I had been used to, at that time, I was, I think, a freshman or sophomore in college, And I had, you know, I would take project horses on and train them and then resell them to kind of support um, myself at that time. And so you had to sign this contract and it said that I had to have this horse for a whole year before I could sell it. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this Mustang for a whole year? (laughs) And um, it ends up, of course, now I have like, you know, six Mustangs that I would never get rid of. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny how it worked out. And it was not a good time of the year to do it at all. I didn't have the right facilities. I was out in, you know, 10 degree, 15 degree weather trying to gentle this Mustang, having no clue what I was doing. And my mom, she was just, she was kind of used to me bringing home a bunch of wild critters. And uh, (laughs) the Mustang kind of threw her over the top, though. She was like, you got a what? And she was, oh, she was worried about me. I got the silent treatment for a little bit on that one. <laughs> so he was my first, uh, my first encounter. Your first encounter, but your, your family is in Colorado. So they're, they're a horsey family then? No, they're just a critter um, family. My dad had horses. My dad had horses growing up and, um, he, I kind of always joke around. He knows enough to be dangerous Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to horses. Um, you know, so he does it, you know, for fun. Um, but yeah. And then my mom is actually like terrified of horses. So I really didn't come from like, I would say a really strong horsey background. Um, and growing up, you know, that always really bothered me. Like I would see, you know, going to barrel races, a lot of families do that together and um, you know, it was all I could do to convince my dad to drive me to the horse show because he was waiting around there all day for me to run. And um, so, yeah, I always felt, you know, like, oh, I wish I would come from a hor- strong horsey background. But at the same time, now looking back, I see that I think that does have advantages because instead of, 
you know, kind of just doing, you know, what my parents, you know, had done with training. I had to really go out and figure it out for myself and experiment with a bunch of different methods and things to kind of formulate my own program. So looking back, I think it, you know, it posed a challenge, but it was also an opportunity. Yeah, I I believe you because, yeah, there is something about that having to train, research, study, learn, you know, fail, mostly fail, and then go right. back. And do right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love what you do. You've gone all the way to Liberty training and a lot of, um, a bitless saddles and everything, which is exciting for sure. Some people would say dangerous, <laughs> but, um, but you make it look easy. And, um, and, and I see that you even have added a, a couple of zebras to your arsenal there too. And we've entered, we've introduced that idea. So tell it, I want to get into some of the the learning that you're imparting to people now, because you're going to be on the road and you're going to be doing some clinics and, and you have some things that I can kind of pull out as names, like your five golden rules. Um, and, and mm-hmm. I think it was described as, uh, the way to be effective in the human equine communication. Um, tell us a little bit about your five golden rules. Yeah, so um, I started about a little over a year ago. I um, got to a stopping point with school. I haven't graduated yet, actually. But um, and yeah, so I decided to head out on the road. So I've honestly been uh, on the road teaching pretty much ever since that. Um, I'm looking at doing a little bit more international travel next year and having more of a home base, just because there's so many animals now that I'm working with that. Um, being on the road is a little bit unrealistic. Um, But basically, um, yeah, I've gone around and taught these five golden rules. And the neat thing about them is that it doesn't matter what discipline you ride. It doesn't matter what breed of horse you have. It doesn't even matter what species of the equine you're working with. Um, They have enough flexibility to be really effective with horses, burrows, or zebras. Um, And that's kind of why you see the diversity um, in the animals that I work with as well, because it's not limiting. So it's a very flexible formula. Um, And when I was really, um, you know, growing up, had a lot of issues and problem horses. And and, um, when I really dove into studying equine behavior and figuring out the problems that I was encountering, realizing that the problem was me, right? Um, (laughs) That's how I came up with the five golden rules. And so studying... Um, work of other horsemen and women, um, diving right in and studying the strongest instincts possible with the wild horses and zebras, I came up with a formula that um, I saw that every trainer had in common too. And oh, interesting. I'm always big on... Yeah, I know. Interesting. I, I'm, now I'm really curious. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I just, whenever I study anything, whether it's, you know, at school, I was in pre-pharmacy for a little bit, um, you know, whatever it is, I try to find patterns and a formula and to find the connections. And to me, that's really true learning. Um, but a lot of times today we are stuck on the memorization part of the learning. So, um, we're, we're trying to memorize an overwhelmingly amount of, um, you know, exercises and magazines and DVDs and, you know, whatever, and quick fixes and things like that. So if we can actually understand the formula that underlies all of that, then we can start figuring out things for ourselves. So I always say when I go to teach the clinics, I say, even if you just walk away from here, understanding how to apply this formula, then you can get into any situation, um, whether you're working, you know, on a 
four-quarter yield on the ground or you're working on a flying lead change in your saddle, you're going to have the tools to give you to work through that. So the um, five golden rules are separated into two categories. The first two rules deal with how to motivate your horse. And the second, uh, the three rules uh, deal with how to communicate better with your horse. So if you think about anything that you want to do with your horse, it goes down, it comes down to motivation and communication. Motivation is how, the what's in it for me question that your horse mm-hmm. asks, why should I do it? And the communication is what are you asking me to do? Um, so if you can address those two things, the limits or the, the possibilities, I should say, with your horse are almost endless to what you can accomplish if you really nail down um, those two categories. Okay. So do you feel like every horse is a little different in the order that those categories come into? Like, are some horses more what's in it for me before they're actually what is it that you ask or, uh, you know, and vice versa? I talk a lot about, as far as the flexibility of the formula, it really comes down um, to uh, motivation, especially those first two rules, um, because depending on what I call the equinality of your horse, um, kind of similar to like our personality, are they introverted, are they extroverted, what's their level of fear or trust, um, that's, that will kind of affect the motivation schedule that you, that you use with your horse. Um, so that offers quite a bit of flexibility with it. And then as you're using the different principles um, in communication, you'll of course see different responses or reactions depending on that horse's equinality. Um, so yeah, it's, it, the thing I love about the formula again is that it just, it offers so much flexibility. I've seen so many um, programs that take away from the individuality of the horse. And um, I think that this formula really works to, um, to acknowledge that individuality. And really my goal whenever I'm working with horses is to bring out the best in that horse, Um, not to compare him to the horse next to him, but to bring out the best in that individual. And so, yeah, that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that a lot. So what do you think is is one of the most important traits a person should have in order to be a good horseman or to interact well with horses? Yeah, well, that's a good question um, and certainly one that I've pondered a lot over the years. And I can definitely say that it would be empathy, being able to really see the world through the horse's perspective and the horse's point of view. And that's the first thing necessary in order to have patience when you're working with the horse, in order to have understanding of how they think, um, and to build trust and communication and all those things, you have to have empathy because so often we try to, you know, really, uh, humanize the horses and and Mm -hmm. how they're thinking. And so it really requires us to step outside of our comfort zone and understand the world from their point of view. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started communications at school and, you know, human communication, and we do the same, we have the same tendency with other humans. We, we have this tendency to think that other humans think the same way that we do. It's called communicative chauvinism. And um, so obviously when you're working with horses, it becomes even more essential that you try to see the world from their point of view, them being a prey oriented animal and us being more predator oriented. Um, so it's a really important skill to master, but that empathy is just the main underlying quality that drives everything else. So I can confidently say that I really believe 
that that is the most important quality when working with these guys. That's great. I, I love that. So what do you think is, what do you think your horses want from you the most? What's the reward for them? What is, what do you think uh, resonates yeah. with them the best? So, so I think that depending on the equinality, the degree of that can shift from horse to horse. But for for the most part, I can I think of um, what motivates our horses, similar to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you're familiar with that pyramid-looking diagram um, at the bottom. Is you know needs you know for humans uh, such as you know do we have air to breathe? Do we have food yeah, to eat exactly. and things like that? Essential and to live. As yeah. You go up, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as you go up that pyramid, um, at the very top would be like something like, you know, self-actualization or transcending thought, you know, um, very spiritual um, needs being fulfilled. But if you don't have any air to breathe, you're not exactly worried about those things. So it's similar for horses. Um, at the bottom is safety. They have to have safety. Um, that's their first priority, being a prey animal, especially. Um, as you work your way up, the next one would be comfort. Um, you know, a release of pressure, things like that. Um, as you go up again into the next year, it would be play. Now, by play, I mean dominance play. And then at the very top, at the peak, um, would be food. So, um, as far as what is really motivating, it would be finding you as a place of safety and uh, of comfort. Yeah. And then you can always supplement your program with positive reinforcement. I'm actually not against that. Um, I kind of have unique on positive reinforcement, but it should never be the the primary way you're motivating your horse because they have to have their safety and comfort fulfilled before they'll even eat. Right. So, right. Yeah. Does it ever make you wonder, I, you know, this is going to be my bias coming through, but does it ever make you wonder what the horse thinks when we start whacking on them from the ground too? I don't, you know, I, what you just said would be the polar opposite of what they're looking for when pain is introduced to the training process. Yeah. Right. So, um, as far as using pressure, I just want to make sure I understand your question. So as I mean, I would never just, you know, go out and start whacking. No, I know you Um, wouldn't. No, I could tell your horses are happy. (laughs) No, but I'm just saying people, well, for 6,000 years, you know, we've, we've pretty much, um, the, the traditional breaking methods you and I've witnessed in the West, you know, are pretty all over the world, really. It's just, it's more graphic in the West. We get to see the paintings from, you know, famous artists that drew and everything. But, sure. but I love what you said about that the, the pressure off is right in there, but safety first. I mean, that's what the herd does for them. Mm-hmm. So you, you got it nailed. I think you got it nailed. It right. just surprises me that people thought for 6,000 years that you know, dominating and creating pain in the training. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I understand. So that, and just really that mentality of force and um, fear using that to control. And, you know, that's a theme that's been going through how humans are communicating amongst each other too. So like, as I really dive into teaching people, it's pretty interesting because I find that how they communicate with their horses is how they communicate with other people. So if they're using control and domination with their horses, a lot of times they're using that technique with other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's really interesting if you take it even a level further and see that a lot of times that's how they're treating themselves as well. So if they're very forceful and unforgiving with themselves, they tend to be that way with other people and then in exchange also with horses. <laughs> and so 
Exactly. I guess it makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. It it is. And there are still places on earth where it's, you know, there's still some illumination that needs to go on with educating horses. But there was one other question I had too. Um, You, you're great with um, relationship building exercises. You've got some things you can impart in that too. And um, you want to help people control five body parts under saddle. Tell me about those. Yeah, so in order to have that really refined communication under saddle, we need to be able to communicate with those uh, five different body parts. So um, I would describe those five different body body parts um, as like the the pole area, um, the forequarters, the rib cage, the hindquarters, and actually the back or the withers, getting them to move into collection. So a lot of the issues people encounter um, under saddle is simply a lack of communication with those different body parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of, you know, my basic horsemanship clinics under saddle deal with uh, communicating with those body parts. Gotcha. Great. Well, I mean, I think people should go. People should go see what you're, <laughs> you're imparting, and it sounds wonderful. And, I, you know, do you take your zebras on the road with you, too? Oh, I do. They sure, they sure do oh, come with God. me. Um, yeah, it's actually, it's hard to leave them alone because they're kind of very one person oriented. It takes so long to get their trust, um, you know, with each new encounter they have. So they're always usually tagging along. <laughs> oh, but I'd love to have you back sometime too, just to talk about, we talked yesterday, um, separately about um, zebras and about the flight mechanism and how they're different than horses a little bit too. So I, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about that when you're done touring in the next month and a half or so. Where can people find you? Yeah, so people can find me on Facebook as Mustang Maddie, M-A-D-D-Y, or also at mustangmaddie.com. And yeah, that would be a a great place to start. Good. Okay, and what's the next city you're going to? What's uh, This will be airing in a little while. So where were you going to be in September? In September, I will be in Texas. Uh, I will be in Fort Worth, Texas for the um, Extreme Mustang Makeover there called Player's Choice doing um, a demonstration. And then I will be doing a Liberty Clinic in Midlothian, Texas, um, which is just, just right outside Fort Worth. Great. Okay. So we'll put a link in our show notes too, so people can find you if they, if they forget about that uh, or they hear this uh, while they're driving. So don't, you know, don't uh, have them looking up Google while they're driving or something, but (laughs) they can go, they can go in the show notes. And I appreciate you taking out the time today too. We, we sprung this on you and you were just a rock star to do it. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me again. Okay. We'll talk soon. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. 
If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Joanne Cutchell is the daughter of a Michigan farm-raised dad and a Hollywood-raised mom and began riding at six or seven in the, near their California home. Uh, it was love at first ride, and it blossomed into horse ownership and a move to Anaheim, California. And that was before Disneyland was built. <laughs> riding and showing took Joanne all the way to studying at Cal Poly. It's California Polytechnic College in San Luis Obispo, where she earned her her teaching credential and her equine classes included a tour of Monty Roberts's farm. Isn't that interesting? She also had the opportunity to exercise broodmares there and gentle a Polly colt, uh, one of the Polly horses that they had there. And more, most importantly, she met her future husband, Gary, an architecture student. So we flashed forward to 2013 and on one of those frequent cruises through Solvang when she was revisiting her college she saw the farm bearing Monty Roberts's name decided to visit and were welcomed by the Roberts family and staff and now have made new friends while taking the join up courses and the gently wild horses courses uh, they also volunteer at every horse sense and healing clinic and recently they adopted a Mustang as a retired American Airlines pilot now Gary Becoming a horse husband has fully enveloped the equine environment, and the adventure continues. Well, welcome, Gary and Joanne Cutchell. How are you two calling in from Anaheim today? Am I right? Yes, we are, and uh, thank you for having us, Debbie. Thank you, Gary. And Joanne, how are you doing today? I'm just fine. Looking forward to our conversation. It's good to hear from you both. Um, I, You know, you are such an iconic... Um, institution almost around Flag is Up Farms these days that I had to have you on. Your story is amazing, and I've been looking for an excuse, and I think we found it. And the first thing I wanted to do, though, Joanne, because you went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, so did Gary, by the way, too, but because you always... That's where we met, in the cafeteria. where you met, in the cafeteria, there we go. Not in the barn, unfortunately, because Gary was over on that engineering side, but Joanne was there for... um, Anything could, that could get her closer to horses. So, um, but one one thing I I was curious about, Joanne, how would you describe your level of horsemanship just five years ago? Um, I'm higher than a novice, but definitely not an expert. Okay, higher than a novice, but not an expert. And Gary, what about you? Uh, very much a novice or less. A novice or less. Okay, that's very honest. Now, you don't have to tell me how many years ago that you met at Cal Poly, but was it more than 25? Actually, we can brag. Okay. It's going to be 50 years of marriage in October. Oh, okay. So we met 53 years ago. 53 years ago, you met at Cal Poly. And how did you learn of Monty and Flag is Up Farms? My heart was in the animal husbandry department. My body was in the home economics department. Gotcha. And I introduced myself to Bill Gibford, who at the time was head of the department. And I took the introduction writing class. And then after that, he allowed me to exercise the broodmares. And each semester, I would take one more animal husbandry class. Mm -hmm. In one of the classes, we visited horse farms in the San Luis Obispo area. And one of them was Monty Roberts. Got it. And then years later, 
fast forward to six years ago, I was reading the book, The Soul of a Horse, and in it, Ronnie Roberts was mentioned again. That's Joe And Camp, Gary so. and I, because of our passion of San Luis, have been taking our sons there for 45 years to San Luis Obispo, and we passed the farm. And so five years ago, we pushed the button on the gate, drove in, and met Adam, and we've been hooked ever since. And a lot of people say, what, you mean you can push the button and just go inside the farm? Did that surprise you? Well, it took us several, it took us several tries because we didn't see the button. We only saw oh. the sign that says welcome. Okay. <laughs> the button's on the side of the post. It's true. <laughs> we have to put an arrow on it or something. But okay, exactly. so, so you, you braved it and you, you went inside. So I'm I'm winding forward here pretty fast, but can you tell us about how you came to decide to join the very first Gentling Wild Horses course, yay, three years ago? Well, we, we had yeah. taken some other classes. We, we uh, ended up from that first versa, version of being on the farm to and talking with Adam, finding out about the courses that were available. And I believe it was uh, later that year we took join up and a long lining class and it led to us taking some other classes and then when uh, it was three years ago when the first gentling wild horse class was offered we decided to sign up for that so both of us attended the first one and then joanne attended the second one and then just this year we both went to the third one Third one in a row, Joanne. That's amazing. And Gary, here you are, less than novice. Is that what you said? <laughs> and three years later, you're taking a gentling wild horse course. Uh, what What was your thought? Well, I I love animals, and the, the horses really don't scare me. They might be a little intimidating, but they don't really scare me because they're flight animal. When they want to get away from me, they don't want to attack me. And uh, I just found it very interesting to find out about uh, how horses learn and particularly Monty's uh, technique of just gradually, incrementally uh, getting with the wild horse and uh, teaching it to accept you or wanting it to accept you. Mm. And I just found it fascinating. I learned a lot about the horses and I learned a lot about myself. And what a lot you about learn? how they yeah. horses. Yeah, tell, tell me what you thought you, you took home with, from that about yourself. Did it build a uh, little com- it, confidence, maybe? Well, yeah, it was more confidence and uh, more understanding of the horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just it gave me a desire to want to go back and get more. It was just so interesting to me. Yeah, and, and Joanne, what brings you back? Well, I quickly learned what I already knew, that no two horses are the same. Mm -hmm. And granted, I repeated the class. No horse was the same. They all had different backgrounds. And they're much like children in that no two learn the same. Granted, we do the same nonviolent techniques, but one horse in two days will grasp what we're attempting to do to gentle them and another one might take four days or five days but the end result on all of them was wonderful yeah it and people can see the 
the results of it online. We have photos and we put stuff on Facebook and everything too, and see you guys on there. You guys worked alongside Jamie Jennings, the co-host of the Horses in the Morning podcast. Have you have you remained friends with some of the students in the course? Um, we are friends on uh, with Jamie, and I have kept in touch with several of the other ladies that I've met over the last three years. Yes, yeah. they want more pictures. They want more pictures. <laughs> they, want to to, they want more. Uh, they want photos of what horses we did last year, what horses we did this year. It's, it's amazing uh, to see the before and afters and some of those videos of you guys out there. I mean, literally, listeners have got to put a, put this in context. These horses are dropped from the back of a stock trailer right from the pens of the BLM and come down a chute. And these guys, Gary, Joanne, Jamie, all the people, the students, and there's about, oh, about seven each year or so, seven or eight students each year, start working with these horses in the in the IFA Gentling pen. And it is nothing less than miraculous what you see in within hours of starting to work with these horses, what happens before your very eyes. But I think the miraculous thing for me was to see this mix of students that are, they didn't know each other. I mean, you two knew each other, but most people in the class don't know each other. And you're working like a team within the first day and two. Uh, You've got your, the equipment is very simple uh, out there. To me, Joanne, all this led to adopting a BLM Mustang. You got to tell us about Tucker. Well, once before we had considered adopting a horse, and it was adopted pronto in front of us. Oh. So when I was taking a class last year by myself, each day I would ride the bike around the farm at lunchtime and just see the horses. And the second day out, I called Gary. I call him every day at lunch. And I would call him, and I called him, and I said, Gary, there's an awesome horse here, a gelding. He's three... He's beautiful, and it would be awesome to have a second horse in the family. Our granddaughter rides. That That's right. Two people in the family could go riding at the same time. Uh, and see, many, many wives so have been in this his, conversation. <laughs> many wives have made this I waited call. for his reply. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I waited for his reply, and it was very quick. He said, get our name on the paper quick. Oh. <laughs> so I went back into the classroom, talked to Denise Hyman, the um, current instructor, and I said, are we totally crazy and she said no gave me a big hug and the paperwork was signed oh my gosh gary thank you for being a great horse husband (laughs) (laughs) he is he is you know what gary i was thinking you know i saw on the board last week or two weeks ago i guess when the gentling wild horses was going on that um one of the gentlemen that was in the course from the forest ranger service um had put the hieroglyphics. Can you tell us about Tucker's hieroglyphics on his neck, that BLM freeze brand they put on there? Yeah, the freeze brand is uh, put on by the BLM, and it designates uh, that uh, the BLM is the one that puts the the uh, mark on the horse, and it says the age of the horse in these hieroglyphics, and it gives a four-digit number. And these numbers are uh, cataloged as to uh, where the horse was uh, picked up. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the hieroglyphics, which equate to a number, 
uh, I believe Tucker ended up with the number 9929. And that was uh, showed that he was uh, caught up a little bit to the northwest of Las Vegas at uh, Wheeler Pass. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. I didn't know that. I know you can go online and look at it, but um, I didn't know that there was this beautiful pattern that they'd set up and that you can just interpret that from these patterns. And I think it makes it more fascinating to look at individual Mustangs that way. But but thank you for adopting one more. It's like one little more star in the sky. We've got these angels uh, angels out of our holding pin. So I appreciate you both for doing that. And and uh, you're, you've both become board members at Join Up International, the nonprofit that um, is the umbrella of these programs, these courses. And I was wondering if you could each tell me what what's your vision for the work that you do on the board of Join Up International. Joanne, you first. Well, we've called ourselves Monty's missionaries from the beginning because once we learned of his nonviolent methods, we were so enthusiastic about sharing that and so being supporters in any way possible, whether it's fundraising or helping with horse and some healing with the military, encouraging others to come to the farm for classes mm-hmm. and just to promote Pat and Monty's vision. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you. And you have, you've even gone on tour with dad over in Europe and shown up in crazy places all over Germany. And, and that was really fun. Gary, what's your vision for the work that you do on the board of Join Up International? Well, it's pretty much the same. Uh, we, we are very interested in how uh, Monty's methods of nonviolence, working with horses and how it affects people as well as, is how it affects the horses and the way horses are trained and then presented to people and how it can uh, do away with violence that is uh, very prevalent uh, within certain cultures. And uh, just uh, the particularly what, what got us hooked was the Horse Sense and Healing, the program for returning veterans that have uh, post-traumatic syndrome mm-hmm. and how three days can make such an impact with these uh, individuals. And I realize you can't accomplish everything in three days, but it's a start. And because of the graciousness of Monty and Pat Roberts, the farm is always open to these people to return. The the phone is always available. And uh, there are some psychologists that are available as well. And, mm-hmm. and within those classes, they always work to the future. We don't rehash the past. And that's what I find very interesting. And mm. I just love to see what happens at the end of these three days. And Mommy and Pat also feel that the family is uh, the support for any person attending the class. So they are also encouraged to come. Mm. Right. They're the best therapists. They they live and sleep and everything with these uh, these heroes of ours, too. So thank you. Thanks for putting a plug in for horses and healing too. And I see you work at, you guys come early, you stay late, you, you are omnipresent there as helpers and volunteers and um, like parents, you're like parents there too, which is just a wonderful support system. And you are now truly deemed horse people. Can you believe it? You finally did it. Yay. <laughs> it's well, wonderful. We enjoy, doing, mm-hmm. we enjoy doing what we can do. And, and, uh, 
it's just, I think we get more out of it than anybody else. Oh, that's sweet. Well, and you can hear your granddaughter, Reagan, was interviewed on Horsemanship Radio, too, not too long ago. And people can go look at uh, Reagan's interview. I don't remember which episode it is now, but put in uh, Reagan's last name. Cutchell. It's Rachel, okay, sorry. She's the male side of the family then. Cutchell, Reagan Cutchell, um, on an episode of, uh, and, sh- and she is pride making. She's doing so well. What's some of her latest exploits? Well, they're actually packing up as we speak to head down to Del Mar, California for the Junior Tramp Championships. She's competing in uh, four different events in dressage and English equitation. So we'll be heading down to Del Mar tomorrow morning, and she'll ride Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh, we wish her luck. Thank you for that. What a dynasty you guys have produced. It's just wonderful. Thank you so much for being on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you for having us. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in The magic in the language of Dear Monty, I am currently doing Pirelli Natural Horsemanship. I am a level one partnership student going on to level two harmony. Is it okay to use more than one training method on a horse, like a mixture of join up with follow up and Pirelli? Or should I stick with just one? Or should I do one training method on one horse and another on a different one? Monty's answer. It is wonderful to hear that you're learning about different methods to communicate with your horse and enhance your partnership. In my opinion, you should continue to research all the available methods of horsemanship in order to make an informed decision on the most appropriate method for you and your horse. However, it is my recommendation that, in experimenting with different methods, you need to take great care to not confuse the horse. There are many entry-level horse people in the world today. A high percentage of them are putting a lot of effort into becoming educated in working with horses. However, some of them are going about it as if the educational material available were like a fruit salad, picking out, say, the pineapple, the apricots, and cherries, passing over the nectarines and the pears. When this method is applied to a single horse, it is confusing. My suggestion is work with different horses and use only one method on each horse. Then observe their learning and come to a conclusion yourself as to the method with which you prefer to work. I believe that if you take this approach, you will be more effective as a trainer and have much happier horses as well. I hope this helps and keep up the good work. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. In the wide, wide world of sports, is it going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? 
Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. October 14th starts his tour in Otley College, United Kingdom. And then October 20th, we have him at Hartbury College. October 25th, Marist Wood College. October 28th, at the Lewis Equine Center in the UK. November 2nd, he's at the Richmond Equestrian Center in the UK. And November 4th is his last stop in the UK at the Alnick Ford Equestrian Center, November 4th. The November 9, now he's got five days to get himself over to Germany, and he starts in Ansbach on November 9. November 11, he's in Nubalock. And November 12th, he is in Nubalock again. That's a second um, day in the same event. And then he does the same thing in Berlin. He'll be November 18 and 19 in Berlin. Then we've got some those long-term planners, those people pulling their 2018 calendar out already. July 23 through 3 of August 2018 is the Gentling Wild Horses course at Flag is Up Farms. And August 6 through 10 is the, uh, this is the one to make too. 2018 is Monty's Special Training. That's our biggest course of the year, August 6 through 10. <laughs> One quick question before I give out the website. Okay. Whenever Monty is doing his tours and his demonstrations, he frequently works with a remedial horse, a horse that has some issue. Not frequently. He um, always, always works with a remedial. Mm -hmm. How do you decide, do you decide a horse to work with or do you decide an issue to work with and find a horse that has it? How's that work? Is kind of an issue to work with and find a horse that has it, but not really. Here's what happens. What we do is we have a person in charge of horse selection, and that's just somebody sitting at the end of the phone who knows what they're doing. And uh, they start calling around. Usually we will source through veterinarians in the local area or equestrian centers in the local area. And the horse selection person will call and say, so Monty's going to be there coming up. And uh, we're, we're looking for this. We're looking for these categories. We're looking for some remedial issues. That could be a bucker, a biter, a head shy, a non-loader, you know, always in non-loader we we never do a show without a non-loader why because there's so many of them, so many and of then, them. <laughs> they're easy to find <laughs> they're easy to find and uh and then we always have a starter and uh it's generally four horses on the evening something like that some horses actually can fall into two categories but, you know we got a head shy non-loader yes yeah. exactly exactly right jen uh, so but the starter is one that's never had a saddle bridle or rider on before and so that's just you know somebody out of the field and so those can be those are the most interesting to watch just because in 30 minutes or less he's got his first rider on with no drama no drama don't, don't, don't. uh you know sometimes they'll Crow hop a little bit, but you know, that's not very many of them. It's a small percentage that actually do. So it's a really interesting thing. So we don't take the reason we have a horse selection. So they all gather up. So that if the person, the horse selection person says, Oh yeah, you fit the category, bring them in. I believe you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so on the morning or midday that day of the tour event, uh, they will meet and, and, uh, outside of the equestrian center and one at a time, a horse handler will bring them into the round pen. Monty sits outside the round pen with the owner. Here's the owner's plight, and and the uh, owner is really auditioning that horse for that evening. So often is very dramatic <laughs> stories, <laughs> and uh, and sometimes the horse won't do it at all. You know how that works, right? Yeah. Your car is clunking at home, and then you get there, and uh, it's doing fine. So he makes sure that it's manifesting whatever issue that the owner is saying. Doesn't always agree with the owner. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the horse might have different issues than he believes that oh, they're yeah. really manifesting. Sure. <laughs> What, For example, what the owner sees. Uh, the horse comes in. 
exactly. Well, it, sometimes they'll say, well, this horse is head shy, let's say. Uh, and the horse doesn't really prove to be that head shy. Uh, just maybe buffalo the owner or something just lifts its head way up you know, <laughs> or whatever. But uh, but it went, when dad's having the horse handler move the horse around the round pins just to see if it's lame or doing mm-hmm. anything it shouldn't do out there, then um, he might notice it's cross-led a lot. And then he goes, mm, do you double, do you lunge line a lot or do you long line a lot? Uh, oh, yes, every day. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And he knows that single line lunging often creates a chiropractic adjustment need. <laughs> in oh, other words, okay. it gets that horse really doing a lot of cross leading in, mm-hmm. in a round pin like that, you know, in a, in a small circle. So he'll say, I'm going to take your horse, but I'm going to take it for a long lining, a double long lining demonstration where we'll put a sur single on mm-hmm. and correct that horse, pull that horse up under himself and, you know, kind of round that top line and, and show them how you can keep them in a better frame and, and also show that it's not important it that hard really to double line lunch like he makes it look easy i realize but it's it, once you get onto it it's so much fun so there you go it might have been in for one remedial issue and comes out for another issue yeah. and so by at the end of the day uh, or at the end of the horse selection an hour or two um, we select the ones that seem to be the p- most broadly educational. We've had lactating mares. They get, you know, no, you go home. <laughs> we <don't, laughs> yeah, we no don't need that. <laughs> you know, or tiny little minis. They're not highly educational for most people, you know. Mm-hmm. So there are categories that we throw them into. But we don't throw them out because they're too hard or too easy. Unless there's a horse that's so remedial, it's not fair. We couldn't, you don't have enough right, time in an right. evening to do. Yeah, sometimes you know. they have so much baggage and there's so many mm-hmm. layers that you really yeah. need to start from from the whole square one of I'm a human, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to eat you, and we need to give you the time to come yeah. to that conclusion. You don't want PTSD horses in situations you, like this. Yeah. No. Well, and you couldn't do a wild Mustang, you know, that's no. never had a halter on or something like that in, in these demonstrations. But they're really fascinating to watch this horse just evolve right there with trust. You know, you get a join up on them and then they, you know, they're loading in a trailer and maybe it's been this, this person's been riding to all the shows for years, you know, because <laughs> they couldn't get her in the trailer. And and a lot of people ride their horses to the events because they couldn't get it in the trailer. And dad always promises, I will ride your home, your horse home, if I can't get it on the trailer. And oh, he, he's awesome. never ridden one home. So well, <laughs> it's always, it's always working out. It's well, a lot of fun. It's a fascinating yeah. subject. It is. So if you want to find out more about Monty's European tours, uh, find about find out about things he's doing here in the United States. You can find it all at MontyRoberts.com, or you can go old-fashioned and give him a call right there at Flag is Up Farms. The phone number is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where we will have links, photos, and more information about our guests, as well as our sponsors. We can't do this show without them. And as always, we love your feedback. Hop on over to Monty Roberts' Facebook page. Just type in Monty Roberts and join the fun. Follow, like, put a post up. We want to hear about it. And you can also follow Monty on Twitter. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And if you've not listened to every single episode of the Horsemanship Radio Show, as well as the other shows, you need to get the Horse Radio Network app so you can have your episodes with you wherever you go. We have the app available for Android and iPhone. Just go to your app store and download it. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. Or you can go old school and you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Mm-hmm. That's right. And many thanks to our sponsors. That is Omega Fields. 
Cavallo and Monty's Equus Online University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 